It's good to be back with you all again. Um, it's going to be hard to say goodbye to you because you've been a wonderful, wonderful congregation. But you have some really good things in store. I, I look forward to hearing what God does with this wonderful church in the next chapter of your life. And uh, it will be good because God's in it. And I'm so grateful that God is bringing Chad and Melissa and their family here to join you very, very shortly. But more about that next week. Today, we're going to look at, again, one of the one another passages. The reason for this series, of course, is because the Bible uses this term constantly, about a hundred times in the New Testament. And the purpose is to teach us as Christians how we're supposed to deal with one another. And uh, so the passages that we've been looking at are mainly for us. They're not named for people who are outside these doors necessarily. They're for us. How do we treat one another? And there are many of them, as I said. This is just a little um, sampling of them. You know, live in harmony with one another, love one another, live in peace with one another, etc., etc. And today we're going to deal with one of them that uh, is, is, to me, one of the most important because actually the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today has five one another's in it. It's Galatians chapter 5 is our topic or our, our passage. And our topic, we'll see in just a minute, has to do with this. Everyone knows what that is. Of course, that's the Statue of Liberty, the first thing that many Americans who came to our shores uh, saw. That's where Ellis Island is, where many of the new immigrants came. It was the symbol of our nation. And if you associate any word with the United States, the word would be freedom. We are known as the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it's a really good word to pick, freedom. Um, as you know, Norman Rockwell did his um, paintings uh, of the, the four freedoms, freedom from want. Um, freedom uh, from fear, freedom of speech, freedom to worship. Um, these were his freedoms. And of course, all the moviegoers know this one. William Wallace, uh, Braveheart, shouting, freedom. It's probably, for many people, one of their favorite movies of all time is this one with, uh, with Mel Gibson, freedom. It's a word that resonates in all of our hearts. But I would suspect that if we went outside the shore, outside the doors of every church today, out into the streets of Sheridan or wherever it may be, and you ask the people on the street who do not go to church, what is the one word you would most associate with Christians? Uh, I don't think you'd hear the word freedom. I hate to hear what you might hear. I think you'd probably hear hate. Some would say hate. Bigots. Hypocrites. All kinds of words that we would not like to hear at all. Those are the words they would most associate with us. However, if you ask the Apostle Paul, what are the words that you would most want Christians to be known by? I know what he would say. He would probably say the first word he would want us to be known by is grace. We're not only the people who are the recipients of grace, but we're gracious. But maybe the second word he would probably pick would be the word freedom. Here's where this passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, Galatians 5, begins. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Probably the most important word, or certainly in the top five, most important words that should be associated with us as Christians is, we are the people of freedom. And by the way, one of the things I look at almost every year is what's, um, it's called the, the Corruption Perceptions Index. It takes every country of the world and rates them in, in light of, of the amount of corruption from the least corrupt to the most corrupt societies on earth today. And you can take also, there's another index I look at, looks at the wealthiest societies in the world and to the poorest societies in the world. If you do that, which of course is very politically incorrect, but if you do that, you'll find that of the top 20 least corrupt societies in the world, almost every single one of them, with two exceptions, almost every single one of them was birthed by the Protestant Reformation. All of them. Why? And if you did an index of the freest countries in the world, you'd find every one of them, I suspect with you, is birthed in the Protestant Reformation. People don't know that out in the street. They're not going to say, well, Christians are the free people. But in fact, if you look at the, at the real statistics, it's true. But do we, are we known to be people who have been set free? Are we? We should. But as you know, freedom isn't free. We didn't get our freedom in this nation just sitting back and, and enjoying the good life of this good land. People paid a pretty high price for our freedom. And there's someone that paid a really, really, really high price. We sang about it this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ. When his blood ran red, our sins were washed white. And that is the ultimate freedom. So Galatians 5 is our text today. And the main line you're going to see in this text is serve one another in love. Now, um, Martin Luther said this. The Christian life is like a drunk man riding a horse. He can't seem to find a balance. And I would submit to you that that is probably incredibly true of us as well. One of the most difficult things for us to do as Christians is to find balance. We're called to freedom. We're called to liberty. But liberty is almost impossible to live with. In fact, our country is doing a terrible job. The great freedoms we have enjoyed as this nation has turned into, in, into the, the, the destruction of freedom in many respects. Same thing in the Christian life. Freedom is not easy. It's not, it doesn't come automatically. Our tendency as Christians is not to walk on the tightrope of freedom, but to fall off on one side or the other. And whatever side you fall on, they're both bad. One's not better than the other. But the goal is to live in freedom. How do you do that? What does it look like? By far and away, the best passage in all the Bible to teach us what it means to walk in freedom is Galatians 5. Now, in this text of Scripture, we're going to see three concepts that are going to come forward very, very strongly. Um, as you know, before I came here to Sheridan, I served a church in Longmont, Colorado for 26 years. And I heard a number of the people in the church, they told me, they said, Tom, in some ways you're a little bit like a broken record. And I probably am. After 26 years, you repeat yourself a little bit. 
which of course I did. But they said, you know, you're a broken record. And that broken record always has three L's in it. License, liberty, and legalism. I grew up in a very fundamentalist family. Thankfully, I had very good and godly parents. Many of my friends had parents who were more hypocritical, and they didn't do well with a fundamentalist background. For me, my parents were incredibly gracious and loving. But I, I know what legalism is. I grew up in it, and I happened to be the compliant child, so I fit in beautifully. It wasn't until my 20s that I started to realize that I was a very, very good Pharisee. I was a legalist, and so I know that pretty well. But God did not call us to live as legalists. He called us to live in liberty. But from the time I was a child in the 50s and 60s to today, the pendulum of the church in America today has shifted radically. But it has not shifted to liberty. It has shifted to the other direction. If you asked by any poll, there's not a poll you will find anywhere that will not tell you today that Christians in America today are no different on the morality scale than people who are not Christians. We have degenerated into license. A very simple definition is uh, legalism adds rules and regulations to a person's life that are not in the Bible, and we judge people by them. License takes the moral standards of the Bible and eliminates those. We're not called to fall like a drunk person on a horse to either side. We're called to liberty. But what does liberty look like? What does license look like? What does legalism look like? That's our text today. So Galatians chapter 5. You could say it's like, like driving down a road. You steer down that road, and in the middle of that road is the law of liberty, which is the law of love. Serve one another in love. But it's very easy to steer to one side. If you steer to the left, you go into license. You steer to the right, you go into legalism. Both will get you in the ditch. And they both will be very, very dangerous spiritually. We're called to steer in the center of the road, which is liberty. Let's start with legalism because this is where the Apostle Paul begins in the text of Scripture. Here's what it says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What's he talking about? This is in the book of Galatians. Galatians is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote probably very early in his ministry. It's possible that this is the first letter he ever wrote. It's likely, in fact. Some suggest he wrote this around the year 48 or 49 A.D. If you do your math, you know Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ left this world about 30 A.D., and now this is about 20 years later. The first generation Christians have, been, have grown, but now you've got a second generation coming in. And it took 10 years to the year 40 A.D. before even the first Gentile was allowed in the church. There were no. Well, most of us in this room are Gentiles. Not a single one of us would even be allowed in the church for 10 years after Jesus was gone. Why? Because Christianity was considered a Jewish sect at that time. Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Jews. 
And so the early converts were all Jews. But then the Apostle Paul was the great champion. No, this gospel is not just for the Jews. It's a gospel for the whole world. And he started bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, and they went after it like crazy. And now the churches started to be mixed, Jews and Gentiles. And soon, few Jews and many Gentiles. But now these Gentiles, man, they're a bunch of weird people. They eat bacon. They don't stop work on, the so- on Saturday. They don't celebrate Passover and Pentecost. They didn't even know about Moses. We've got to teach them. God wants you to be godly. You've got to be circumcised, you males. That'd be fun. You, you, you can't eat any pork. No, no, that's a forbidden animal. Oh, you can't eat any, no pork chops. You need to celebrate Passover, and you need to learn what that's all about. And so now the Jewish people, who were the founders of the church, they started to say, Gentiles, this Christianity is acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah plus following the Mosaic Law. And Paul said, no, no, it's not. He said, yes, it is. And a huge fight broke out in the church. A fight that that was settled in the city of Jerusalem when the church leaders gathered together in what's called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Thankfully, thank you God, Paul representing us, he won. They said we will not impose the Mosaic Law on on the Gentile Christians because the gospel was at stake. You see, once you start adding anything to the gospel, that is, We are saved by grace through faith alone. Once you start adding, you have destroyed the gospel. And that's what the book of Galatians is about. Paul says once you add works to the gospel, you've destroyed the gospel because then it's all about you and what you do, not what God has done for you. You've changed everything. And he said once you do that, you have descended back into the slavery of the law. This is not what you've been called to but it gets worse. Because the the issue is quite clear that we don't add anything to the gospel. Because if you add anything to the gospel, you destroy the gospel. But now it gets a little worse because people say, well, we don't have to add any works to the gospel. But honestly, folks, once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to grow in Christ, you've got to follow the rules. It's about the rules. Here are the rules. And then they start telling you these are the rules. Following Christ now, becoming a a more Christ-like person is about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, kicking in your self-discipline, and following the rules. Paul said, no. We're not saved by works, nor do we grow by works. No, they're both wrong. Both of them lead to slavery and away from Christ. So the first one he's going to address is the additions that people are constantly trying to make to the gospel and to how we grow in Christ. He goes on. Mark my words. That's pretty strong. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised 
that he's obligated to obey the whole law. Now, you can't pick and choose which laws you want to obey. You can't do that in our country. You can't do that in Sheridan, Wyoming. We'll say, I like these laws, but I don't like these, so I'm going to pick certain ones and, 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 and omit others. Paul says, no. Once you've entered the, the way of the law, you have to obey every one of them. And you know how many there are? 613. That's how many there are. In the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, there are 613 commands. He says, okay, you want to be on that road? 613 of them you've got to obey perfectly. That's your path. Who wants that? Who, you who are trying to be justified by law, have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. That's not what grace is all about. Grace is not about your self-effort to make yourself acceptable to God. That's not what it's about. Don't do that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We'll come back there. You were running a good race. You were doing well. When I came to you at first and I taught you about the gospel and how to grow in Christ, you were doing well. But then as you know from the, from the book of Acts, after Paul would leave the town, the Judaizers would come in and say, this Paul is not an apostle and he's got it wrong. This is the way you become a good Christian. Follow the rules, and here are the rules. Paul says, you were running well while I was with you, but then someone cut in. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. It's a pretty serious matter. Remember, it just takes a little smidgen of yeast to work its way through a whole loaf of bread. That's a proverb. But yeast is a symbol in the Bible of sin. It just takes a little bit of false teaching to, to go through the whole of, the, of, the, of a congregation and destroy the whole batch. I'm confident in the Lord that you will see it my way, Paul says. I, I, I know you guys. You're good. And by the way, the one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Because at this point, most of Paul's uh, persecution came from fellow Jewish people. He said, you know, if I was telling all the new Christians to be circumcised, the Jewish people who are persecuting me, my fellow brothers in, 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 of the flesh, they wouldn't be persecuting me anymore. Because the offense of the cross has been abolished. You see, the offense of the cross is this. Jesus paid it all. Wait, that's, that's incredibly offensive to human pride. Jesus paid it all, every bit of it. How much did I pay? Uh, none. You see, that's an offensive thing to human pride, the most offensive thing. That's why Christianity is considered very offensive in some, because it effectively eliminates our ability to say, we, but we, you owe it to us, God. We're good. We, we should be acceptable. We did this for you. No, we didn't. He has done it for us. Produces great humility. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I'm not going to tell you what that means. Go ask your mom and dad. <laughs> it means 
castrate yourself. That's what he's saying. I didn't write that. That's in the Bible. He's, he's serious. He's serious. This is not a small problem. It's huge. And the church has wrestled with legalism for all of our days. Now, this is Charles Swindoll. I, I use him for his good definition. He said this. Legalism happens when we substitute our rules and rituals for our relationship with Christ. It's a subtle trap that takes the focus off of what God has done for you and slowly turns it to what you have done for God. John Piper, another well-known pastor, said this. Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the ground of our acceptance with God. I am accepted by God because I'm doing really well. I'm following the rules, God. That is legalism, and it's a very, very, very dangerous thing. How does it happen? Well, what happened here in Galatia is teachers came into the church, and they emphasized the rules as the root to God's favor and living a good and godly life. You follow, these are the rules, seven minutes with God, and do this and this and this, and that is the keys to a godly life. Those aren't bad in and of themselves, but it's not the rules and the rituals. It's the relationship with God. And so then some people in the church were getting the idea that salvation is about my faith in God and my works. That's what gets me saved. And others were saying, no, the route to becoming a godly person is by your works, your self-effort. And unwittingly, a yoke of servitude and slavery slips in. Now, what's wrong with legalism? Let me give you some things from the text of Scripture. Number one, it nullifies the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Isn't that terrible to, to nullify the very thing that God gave us, freedom? It constitutes spiritual slavery. It takes us from being free to putting us back into bondage. It undermines the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It demands unattainable perfection. If you want to go down that route, Paul says, you go there, but you don't have a prayer because no one's going to pull that off at all. It robs us of our wealth in Christ. We're, we're his inheritors. We're his inheritance. It robs us of all the, the things that we talked about some months ago in Ephesians that are part of our inheritance. It messes up our motivation. Because now we start to obey out of a sense of duty, not delight, out of guilt, not gratitude, out of fear of the wrath of God rather than a desire to please Him. It ruins our motivation. And legalism, like yeast, will ferment or rot our faith. It is a great and serious danger. It is not good. But... There's another danger because, as I said, the pendulum swings. License. You choose who you want to be. You choose what you want to obey. You choose the part of God's Word that you like, and you get rid of the parts you don't like. Now Paul is going to turn his attention to license. Look at what he says. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but... 
Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So now he's going to say there's another side to this pendulum. Again, the, what God has called us to is to freedom. Freedom can easily slip into legalism where we think our acceptance to God is based on following the rules and regulations. But the other side is when we say, hey, I'm free. You mean I'm not saved by what I do? Hey, I like this. You mean I can do whatever I want? I like this. I have a, I have a nature. My nature likes to do whatever I, whatever pleases me. I'm going to go for that. And so now our freedom is used to indulge our sinful nature, which has all kinds of bad implications. Here it goes. You see, the entire law is summed up in a single command. This is what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said that's the second great commandment. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. These are two more one another's here. You see, the danger of license is you now become the moral standard, not the Word of God, you. Your feelings, your desires, you start, your mantra now is, I will follow my heart, which basically means I am my own free moral agent. Now, what does that do in a group of people if every one of us is a free moral agent? Well, we start to bite and devour each other, and we will destroy each other because the primary motive is me. And me doesn't work really well with community. It doesn't work well. In fact, it destroys it. It goes on. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You've probably heard that again from Romans. Now, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you live to indulge your sinful nature, it will degenerate into all kinds of things like this list that the Apostle Paul has just given for us. Again, Charles Swindoll defining license. Because of grace, we have been freed from sin. Our sin has been paid for. We've been redeemed. We sang about it. Free from its slavery. It's bondage in our attitude, in our urges, and in our actions. But having been freed and now living by grace, we can actually go too far. Set aside all self-control and take our liberty to such an extreme that we again serve sin. But that isn't liberty at all. That's license. Well, here's how it works. This is how it works because many people like me, my, the people with whom I grew up, most of the people with whom I grew up in legalism have now shifted into license. Why? Well, because legalism stinks. It's bankrupt. 
And when you observe the hypocrisy of legalism, it stinks so bad you don't want anything to do with it. So what do we do? We tend to run to the other side. And we apprehend that we're saved by grace alone, God's unmerited favor. We get it right. I am not saved by my good deeds. We got it right. I'm not going to be sanctified by my good deeds and my self-effort. We get it right. But then one of the things we get wrong is this. We are not free when we become Christians from our sinful nature. Now a new battle rages inside of us between the Holy Spirit that lives with us, inside of us, and our sinful nature. This battle can become so fierce and so frequent that we can lose hope of ever winning. And so we choose to redefine grace rather than rely on the Holy Spirit. We now slip into license. And we give in now to our sinful nature under the cover of God's grace, relegate the Holy Spirit to the periphery of our lives, and we descend into license. And now we gravitate towards serving ourselves and our desires. And then we start to attack each other. And then all hell breaks loose in the church. That's what license will do. It is a great and serious danger in our, in our country today. You see, license spits in the face of Christian freedom. License twists freedom to love others into the freedom to serve myself. License destroys Christian community. License benches the Holy Spirit in one's life. And in, in, in the opposite, it helps the opposition. It degenerates into lifestyle habits that are ungodly and increasingly hard to break. That's what license will do. We are not called to legalism. We're not called to license we are called to liberty. We're called to be free. What does it mean to be free? Let's see what Paul says. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. First of all, when he came to this earth, when he gave his life as a sacrifice from the cross, when he defeated de death, when he took the wrath of God, when he redeemed us, when he justified us, when he propitiated us, and all these theological terms, he did so to set us free. Free from what? Free from the slavery to sin. Free from the penalty to sin. I don't have to pay the penalty. I'm free from the power of sin. It does not dominate me. Jesus Christ came to set us free. Now, how do we do it? Well, we've got a choice. Our sin nature is still well, is alive and well inside of us. But now, as Christians, we have two natures, which means we're a civil war, a walking civil war. That's who we are. The Bible says, that's who I am. Look at me, I'm a civil war. I am, I really am. There's a battle rages inside of me. Because when I became a Christian, the Bible says that God gave the, His Holy Spirit to me. Where? It's inside of me. It lives inside of me. But when I became a Christian, I did not get rid of my sin nature. It's still there, and it's pretty strong. And now a battle rages. We get to choose. Well, I say, like start a day this way. Oh, oh Heavenly Father, I know. I'm a walking civil war. I know that. But Jesus died. You died for me. You set me free. You set me free from the power of sin. 
And you gave me your Holy Spirit to help me do things I could never, ever do on my own. I want to walk with you. I don't want to spend my life gratifying my fleshly desires for pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure. It's good. For money. Nothing ultimately wrong with that or my own ego. No, I, I want to walk with you. But sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the nature. They are in conflict with each other. So you do not do what you want. It's pretty bad sometimes. I could go into that with all of us here, and we'd have quite a, a, a session if we talked about how, what it's like to, to fight this battle, because we fight it all the time. It's pretty tough. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law doesn't need to con condemn us at all. Now, what, it, what does it look like if, in fact, we, we walk with the Spirit? What does that look like? Well, this is what happens. Fruit comes out of our lives. What fruit? Love and joy and peace patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there's no need for law. That's what the Spirit, if we yield to the Spirit in this battle that rages inside of us, this is the fruit. That's a good, I'd like to eat that stuff. That's really good fruit. That's what it says. Now, how does this work? How does, how does it work to live in, in, in Christian liberty? How does it work? Well, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sin nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So that's how it ends. Let me suggest this is the root, that we should be walking the root of liberty. It begins with a war that was won. The ultimate war, spiritual war, was won 2,000 years ago. Not World War I or World War II, but cosmic war won. And it was won by our Lord Jesus Christ when he said, It's finished! I did it! The price for human sin has been paid in full. The gates of eternal life have been opened to all who will bow the knee and by faith enter in. It's been opened. He did it. And the Bible says God then made him who, who knew no sin to become sin for us. He took our sin so that in him now, that's what it means. Christians are those who are in him so that in him we become now the righteousness of God. When God looks at us, he says, oh, Tom Hovesall's perfect. <laughs> you got to be kidding. No, he's perfect. Why? Because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I get his righteousness. That's a good deal. I, I want that. So that's where it starts. Here's a, another place. In the same book, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he died for me. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He gave himself for me. That's what it says. Now, what happens then? 
by faith, I live in a body now where ultimately in heaven my righteousness is secure, but I'm not all that righteous living on this earth. But I eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which I hope. I live in the penalties of sin has been paid in full, but I've not yet been glorified. One day that will happen. Until then, what matters is not following the rules. What matters is Faith expressing itself through love. So the goal of my life switches from trying to not sin, which I think is one of the big changes in my life. I came to the place at one point in my life where I said, I'm not going to try to stop sinning anymore. You know why? Because I can't. I failed all the time. But God says, if you make the focus of your life not to sin, you will sin. Here's the way to do it. Don't make the focus of your life not sinning. Make the focus of your life walking with the Spirit Faith expressing itself in love. And guess what happens to sin? It kind of falls away. You see, we, what legalism does is it tells people this is the, wor the worst thing you could ever do is sin in this world, so try the best you can not to sin. Good luck, turkeys. <laughs> and there are a lot of turkeys in, 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 in Wyoming. You're not going to pull that off. It's a ridiculous route. Instead, no, I'm God's workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus for good deeds. I'm given the privilege of living my life to love God and to love other people. I am infinitely valuable. Ooh, that's a good way to go. And the Holy Spirit is there at every step. That's a good way to go. And so we have our choice. We can either take the route of legalism or the root of license. But they both are bad. We're called to freedom. Let me end with a, a few contrasts. And I would, I would just ask you just to, to, to evaluate yourself where you are, and then much more importantly, where would I like to be? Irreligion or, or license is it. I live as I please. I do whatever I want. That's license. And as a Christian, actually, you can do that. I wouldn't advise it. Or religion is, I obey God, and because I obey God, He likes me. But the gospel is this. God loves me. Because of that, I obey. Because I want to please Him. Here's another contrast. The Apostle Paul says that, that license is actually living like an adolescent. You want to Sow your wild oats. And if you've sown your wild oats, you know that that costs. And it's not pretty. And, 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 uh, and legalism is like living in childhood. You see, one of the goals as parents is as we raise our children, we give less and less rules because we want the rules to be internalized inside of them. Because as I've not called you to live in adolescence or childhood. I've called you to live in adulthood, in maturity, in liberty. You see, license to sin is one thing. The other one is license to sneer because you think you're better at other, than other people because you follow the rules. But God says, no, you're called, you're given now the license, the freedom to serve. That's who we are. Licensed people say, hey, just do it. If it feels good, do it. Of course, the legalist says, on the other hand, don't do it because God will be mad. 
But freedom says, he's done it. He did it. I can live in freedom. I can, I'm free to serve. I'm free to run. I'm free to dance. One, it results in the bondage to sin. That's what license. You'll actually get caught in sin. The, uh, then the other is the bondage to the rules and regulations. God will follow the rules. But now our bondage is actually freedom. Bondage to Jesus. That's what it looks like. The first one ignores the law. That's what license does. The, 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 the legalist idolizes the law. Oh, the law is what it's all about. But with Jesus, with liberty, the law becomes a part of who you are. We don't even have to worry about it in a sense because with Christ in us, with the Holy Spirit, we follow the law, I would say, almost naturally. We are called to freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I pray that this congregation of people, and however much time God gives you, gives all of us in the future, that one day, if when they think of First Baptist Church, people say, Woo, those are the people who in love serve one another. And interestingly, they're really free. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the power of your word. It's so beautiful, really. It's so balanced. I pray that this congregation would be a congregation of people who knows the freedom for which Christ has set us free. May this body be protected from the scourge of legalism as well as license and know the joy and the peace and all the good fruit of walking with Jesus in freedom. That end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. And as you go today, may God bless you, may He keep you, and may you experience the freedom for which Christ has set you free. God bless you.